0: that the fall season is upon us and it really gives us an opportunity to uh um to invite our friends and our neighbors our community to uh, an opportunity to uh, just have a good time together we're out in the parking lot and it really is a lot of fun um you probably were given a card one of our desires this year is to do a better job of inviting people to be a part of it and again just to be clear like we're not inviting them because they're going to come and see a really cool beanbag toss and go Jesus died for me. That's not what happens. It's not what happens. But we really believe that like our normal and natural lives that we live out and that we share and we invite people in and it's just a normal part. So I love the questions that I get asked sometimes. I remember being part of a church in Illinois and they asked the question one time because we had a men's basketball league um, and the guys would come and they would meet kind of in the gym. We were the only uh, building in town that had a gym. And so before men's basketball, of course, what do you do? You you pray, because that's what they do before any time they play basketball. And somebody asked the question, do you guys ever just play basketball as Christians? And I said, no, never. Never just play basketball. We always pray before we play basketball. And kind of jokingly, no, we don't. Sometimes we just play basketball, and sometimes we just hang out with our kids and do it. And there is an attitude that we have about just living life before uh, before one another. And so I want you to invite others and to be a part of it. You'll see on the back wall um, some ways that you can give and to, uh, to contribute to that and hopefully sign up and be a part of that great time, uh, because all we want to do is just open up our lives and our, um, our building and all of those things to the community uh, to let them know um, that we are here and that we love God first, but we love them as well, and, uh, and we know how to have a good time. And so that really is our goal for Fall Festival. Hope you'll be a part of that. If you have your Bibles, though, we are um, kind of jumping straight into it today. Matthew chapter 19 is where we're getting the idea from. Um, but the truth is we're going to be preaching more topically than what would be known as exegetically. So I'm not going to be um, breaking apart a couple of verses like we usually do. What does this word mean? In the Greek it says this and da 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 Not that. What I'm going to be doing is saying, listen, there are some major issues that are addressed in this section and we need to talk about them. And so the context is Jesus getting into a debate or a conversation with some Pharisees who ask him about the questions of divorce. In Jesus' day, there was a very liberal attitude about divorce, and there was a growing concern about that, and they were becoming increasingly conservative. And they said, hey, Jesus, in essence, Pharisees came up to Jesus, what side of the argument do you land on in terms of how free or or, uh, or, kind of constrained we need to be in the issues of divorce? And Jesus speaks to them. And he talks about how God made everything in the beginning according according to certain patterns. And um, our worship arts team, when we were going through Matthew, we just said, listen, we we need to address these issues. It's not as simple as, let's talk about marriage and divorce. It it goes deeper than that. It's about sexuality and about even the possibilities of singleness that we're going to see in the text. And then even beyond that, um, it's about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And the more that we looked at those issues marriage, divorce, sexuality, singleness, manhood, and womanhood, we thought, you know, the Bible doesn't come to us and says, here's all the, here's all, here's seven things you need to know about being a man, eight things you need to know about being a woman, 10 things you need to know about being, you know, sexually active, 14 things you need to know about, that's not the way it describes it at all. The Bible is actually written to us, it is God's revelation of himself given to people in relationship with him. So there are constant engagement of God with his people and that's how information comes to us. So you won't find a list of seven things and ten things. That's not how the Bible was comprised. Okay? It is a very real interaction that God has with his people and you and I have to do the work of sorting through that and recognizing, okay, so these things are true about God eternally. These things are consistent teachings that he has to different people in different times. He said this to the Israelites. He said this to Abraham, which was even before the Israelites, he said this to King David, he said this through the prophets, he said this through Jesus, he said this through the apostles, and we find a consistent message about who he is and who we are. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to begin with this topic, and again, we're, we're going to speak very honestly and frankly this morning, and so that's why, and kind of why we gave parents a little bit of a heads up uh, in terms of this conversation. Nothing that we say will, will, we, will we be ashamed of, but definitely it could, it could make some, for some interesting conversations at home, possibly, over the next few weeks. Um, but one, let's look foundationally at the very, um, kind of at the heart of this issue. Um, if you were to ask me, what one thing do I know for sure? when I'm speaking to any audience today, whether that be, and this is what's somewhat interesting, whether that be Christian or not Christian, what's one thing I can just know for sure, and that's this, that everybody that I'm speaking to believes that they have the right and the ability to determine truth for themselves, and to varying degree, like by themselves. If there's one thing that almost everybody that I meet whether they're very conservative or very, very liberal, the one thing that I find that is, that is universal is that we all come kind of feeling this, this sense of entitlement. I'm allowed to determine what is right. Nobody, nobody can tell me what is right. Nobody can force their opinion on me. Uh-uh, I'm an American. Well, I'm a Canadian, but I'm a Canadian who lives in America. But I'm an American, and I get to live like this, and I get to act like, and I get to think like this. You can't tell me how to think. Like, that's like universal that's that's basically the idea that comes to us so then the question that we have to begin with is is that what the bible teaches because what we're going to begin by looking at is this how does the world teach us on this particular subject matter because it's not like we're all blank slates we didn't walk in here going i have no idea what it means to be a man jim teach me i've got nothing No, 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 we we, we got a lot already determined, decided in our own minds. This is what it means. You, You got some of it, although my dad never sat down and said, here's what it means to be a man. I watched him very carefully, very intentionally, and I watched him, and I watched my mom, and I got an idea of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. I went to, to school and I grew up in a culture and I, I learned what it means to be a woman and what it, I watched television. You watch television? I watch television. And television taught me what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. This is what it means. So I know what to expect from my wife and I know what I'm supposed to do because I watched, I don't know, the Cosby show back in the 80s. So now I know what it looks like. And amazingly enough, More of our attitudes have been described and shaped from television than almost anything else. So we kind of laugh at that. We kind of think, well, no, 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 that's not where I got it from. No, that most likely is where we get a lot of our ideas from. So what does the world actually teach us? Three things, and they kind of develop, they kind of step on top of one another. The most foundational one, that first one, is this is that at the very center of all of this is humanity. It is human-centered, therefore, self-authorizing. So by what authority do you believe this? Mine. Like, how did you determine this? My own thoughts. Like, who said that this was right? I figured it out all on my own. That's kind of how the world operates. The humanity is is the final Um, the final authority. What what could be greater than humanity? What could be greater than our culture? And by the way, culture is not good or bad. Culture is culture. Culture is basically the interaction that you and I have with one another. And it just is what it is. And you and I, through years of being inculturated, but it's like indoctrination, the more, more we get inculturated, the more the truth is our collective engagement with one another is bad and good and it's negative and positive. You don't have to be a Christian to build houses for those who need homes. You don't have to be Christians to provide water to the rest of the world. No, 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 no. There's lots of great things that people do. There's lots of great attributes that exist within culture. Let's not pretend that Christians are the only ones that know how to be nice and polite and let people go in front of them if they have less items than them when they're at Aldi. I mean, that's, that's a universal, should be a universal idea. Okay, so humanity, so by the way, if you see me at Aldi and I got like three items and you have like four trucks full, okay, (laughs) anybody can, so culture's not bad, but humanity says, the world says, hey, you're the one that gets to decide this on your own. It's human-centered. It's self-authorizing. So I want you to just think about that. The convictions that you believe about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman- Okay, Where do you get those ideas from? What authority tells you that a man should or a woman should? By what authority will you stand on that? And and what you will find is that many of us will go, I don't really know other than I just is kind of what I thought. Human-centered, self-authorizing. Now, therefore, you've, you've probably heard this for those of you that have taken or dabbled in certain areas of philosophy. This idea that it's self-authorizing. There might be a collective consciousness, but the truth is it's free for each of us to decide. It's known as pluralism or relativism or perspectivism, and it means that you and I can decide our own truth and then live our own way, which means this, that if you and I get to decide this, and it really isn't told to us by anybody other than us, then the truth is there are no boundaries. There are no boundaries, like, there's no, there's no rule. There's no, you can walk here, but you can't walk here. It's like, I can walk wherever I want to walk. I'm the final authority. I mean, listen, there might be constraints socially. We might have some kind of a generic rule, as long as nobody gets hurt. Defined by me, by the way. That whole, that nobody gets hurt is almost always defined by the person who says they're not hurting anybody else. Okay? If you notice that. But there are no boundaries, so in the end, instead of there being a, well, I probably shouldn't do this because that's wrong, it's no, I'm actually able to, to walk around and to, to pursue and to explore attitudes and, and behaviors because I'm, that, that's kind of my, my goal. I get to understand. And, and so my, old, my whole looking at myself is, uh, is this kind of this crazy exploration. And there's never a door that says, don't open this door. Who's going to tell me, and this is your attitude, right? How many of you, when you see a door that says, do not open this door, you're like, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to see what's on the other side. Whenever I see like boundaries or rules, I'm, truthfully, truthfully, I think they're for you, not me. I have set off more alarms at more museums because they're saying you shouldn't go behind you. I'm going, well, if George Washington was behind there, I think I can be there too. Right? No, you step across, eh, 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 people come. My wife says, I'm never taking you anywhere again. But I see a boundary and I just think, that's not right. Now imagine, and this is true, isn't it? Socially, what are our boundaries? In terms of what it means to be a man, are there certain doors that we should not open? Are there certain areas that we should not go in or explore? And society says, no. You're, you're able to just decide all on your own. You are the only authority that, in the end, as long as you're comfortable and as long as you're okay with this and as long as you want this, which means that what is the governing principle for my own determination of what it means to be a man is like my own heart and my own desires. So, today, what I think to be a man is, and I got no one in my life saying, you shouldn't do that. That's not right, that's not proper. That's not, that's not the way you were meant to be. Nobody tells me who I was meant to be. And this is the way that we live. Essentially, it is like we are, I think societally, like children being told that we can do whatever we want, go, whatever, go wherever we want to go. That this is this kind of a safe place, and the world is not a safe place. It's a safe place, and you are, point number three, you are free to explore it. With no boundaries, you are now free to explore. And the problem is, is that ordinarily when I say to a child, you're free to explore this building, wherever you would like to go, you're free to explore it. Most of you, if you were parents, would go, okay, now, but can I ask you a question? Like, it's safe for them to explore it, right? Oh, no, 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 there are certain rooms if they go in, they're dead. But I want you to know they're free, He would go, well, no, 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 you need to put signs there. Oh, don't worry. We'll put signs, but we'll tell them they're free to ignore them. What happens? This is society. Okay, this is me. This is you. The majority of attitudes that you have about manhood, womanhood, sex, singleness, marriage, and divorce are enculturated into us, are given to us by watching our parents. I remember the day when I looked at my father and I realized, good godly man that he was, I knew he wasn't perfect. There's a difference between knowing your dad isn't perfect and knowing I don't want to be like him in that way. That's the difference. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through that. I looked at my dad one day and said, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Jesus, not like that. I'm serious. I'm not trying to dog my father. Great Christian guy. I still, my wife calls it my, one of my major crises that I had in my life. And she says, and that was the day you realized your dad wasn't, no, I knew my dad wasn't perfect, but I still wanted to be like him. It was around the same time that our second son was born, so it'd be roughly 1995, uh, 90, And um, that's right, honey, is it 95? Okay, 95. And so I'm in grad school. Okay, so I'm 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 somewhat of an adult at this time. I've got two kids. I'm in grad school, and I'm looking at this middle boy, and I'm realizing that one day he'll think that way of me. He'll look at me in terms of my manliness, in terms of what it means to be a man. And my son, I prayed that he would look at me and say, I love you, Dad. You're a good, godly man. But in this area, and in this area, and in this area, I don't want to be like you. I want to be like Jesus. See, you wouldn't get that from culture. Like, culture is, no, 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 listen, don't dog your dad, just kind of explore yourself. I quickly realized that I couldn't live like that. That there was something that was kind of riding against me, something that was rubbing hard against me that was causing this irritation. What is it? And it was that I was brushing up against reality, like a reality that exists not just in the physical world, but even in the spiritual world. There are are ways in which we relate with one another that although we want to say you're free to explore and do anything you want, what happens when our ideas of what it means to be a man begin to conflict with other people's ideas? I would argue that most of the social experiment of the last few hundred years, which just to caution you, to remind you, it was not developed in the 60s. 1960 is not when the world went south, okay? That's not what happened. It was the the kind of the, the roots of that actually go all the way back to the beginning in sin. But in our educational system, a lot of the ideas that literally flourished in the 1960s were firmly entrenched in the educational universities in Europe in like the late 16th, early 1700s. Ideas of freedom and the pursuit of your own way and your own will and your own... They just had other restraints, but the more they began to cast off restraint and cast off restraint and cast off restraint, all of a sudden they realized, okay, who's running this place? And they can't find anybody because you have a self-authorizing. Let's go, no boundaries, free to explore, do what you want. And the only question they know to ask is, who am I? That's the best question they can offer. Who am I? Anyone you want, who do you want to be? Sounds deep, doesn't it? Who am I? Well, who do you want to be? Hmm. I don't know, Superman? I'd like to be Superman. Can I fly? Do you want to fly? Yeah, I want to fly. Okay, go up to a building and jump off. See how you do. All of a sudden you find out, right, halfway down, I can't be Superman. Who's going to tell you that? The guy in the building. Hey, you can't be Superman, right? Like what if that is part of the problem? What if, the, what if who am I is not the best question to ask? I would argue it's not the Christian answer to ask. So God gives us an alternative way of looking at the world. To be Christian, literally, is not to be outside of culture, not to not have dads and moms and not to have influences and to have not have television. You're going to have to be somewhere in, in society So what to be Christian is, is to say, listen, if if that is, if that is what is going to influence me, is there anything else that can influence me? And God steps in and says, now let me tell you, let me reveal to you some truths. And the two major revelations that we see in the scripture are one, God about himself and then God speaking the truth about himself and then God speaking the truth about us. So instead of it being a human-centered self-authorizing, which is what all of us, I believe this. You can I mean it'd be fun to have a conversation. I believe we trust ourselves more than we trust anybody. More than we trust anybody. We trust ourselves, our experiences, our emotions, and yet I would also argue we know not to trust them. And then we trust them. And there's ways, one book we read recently about you are what you love, and there's ways of our heart that are almost impossible to stop, but we just keep finding ourselves going back to the same empty pool to go swimming all the time. We find ourselves going back to that same table to eat, and there's no food there, and we wonder what's going wrong. And God says, listen, let me reveal to you, let me provide for you. So instead of it being human-centered, it is God-centered. It is God-authorizing, which means that you and I fundamentally don't come to to this question about manhood on our own, but we come seeking his wisdom. Let me take a little bit of an aside, because as Ashley said, um, she's a woman and still needs to hear this. So probably about half, maybe a little more than half of you that are listening to me right now are women and so what are you supposed to be doing as Jim speaks for the next few moments about men I'm not here to give you fodder (laughs) I'm not here to give you like things to complain about that's not what I'm here to do I'm here to describe the biblical teaching to both men and to women so that men might be challenged to do and then women come along and help as well next week we'll do women it'll reverse around now here's the issue, what should women do? Number one, and I don't mean this like, hey, I'll pray for you, and then you kinda mean generically think, but not really pray. I mean pray. I mean by name, pray. I mean by like specific things that are going wrong or good in someone's life, pray. Thanking God for the faithfulness of a husband, praying to God for, uh, for a husband who's going to take certain things more intentionally, I mean pray. Not complain about, but I mean pray. I mean that genuinely, pray. Number two, I am asking you ladies here today, um, sisters in Christ, I'm asking you to think about the men in your life, fathers, husbands, sons, brothers, coworkers, thinking about the men in your life and, and speaking up. Now, now, by the way, I'm not, I'm not I'm, again, I'm not saying complain. I'm not saying become embittered. I'm I'm actually talking about like genuine, healthy conversation, speaking up. I am so grateful, my wife, everybody thinks she's perfect, she's not, she's not, and so my wife is is at times in her life, I think once or twice maybe complained, right honey, would that be right? Would you admit that? Honey, I'm serious, would you admit that? (laughs) Yes, okay good, got her to she's never admitted that before, no I'm just kidding, she has admitted that before. Um, Sometimes comedic purposes, honey, work with me. But my wife has a few times complained, but let me tell you, my wife has, on more than a few occasions, been the words of God to me. She has just like spoken the words of God to me about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a husband and what it means to be a father, what it means to be responsible in the church that we were a part of. Like my wife just comes in and and those moments are so cherished by me, okay? And to even to learn, women, to learn how to do that, to do that in love and to have a relationship where I know that what Andrea is saying to me right now is not to hurt me. It's, It's not that she thinks she's better than me at this moment. It's none of that. She has a real heart for Jesus that is greater than her heart for me and so she loves me enough to speak the truth to me and I can think about five or six, she's probably done it more than that, but I can think about like five or six, like life reorienting conversations that Andrea has had with me. And I thank God for her. I really do. I love you, babe. And I thank God for you. And you need to do that. You really need to speak up and speak the truth in love as the apostle Paul teaches. And then lastly, this might sound strange, but I say to you women, like expect more from us. Like, expect more. The the amazing part that I would even tell you, you might be shocked by this, but I would tell you, you need to expect from the men in your life what God expects from them. No more, no less. Wait a second. God? Yeah, God. Because if you expect more than God expects, then you're crazy. And if you expect less than God expects, you're destructive and dangerous. See, here's the beauty of God, okay? When when God expects something from me, he totally expects it. And he calls me to it. Live your life in this way. And I do my best to live my life in that way by his spirit and for his purposes. And when I fail, what does he do? Does he fold his arms and say, I told you you couldn't do it? No. God in his love and in his grace and in his mercy extends kindness and and forgiveness, that when I, when, I, when I break, when I fail, and when I break and I go to him, he is restoring and caring and nurturing. God comes to me, and he builds me up. And can you imagine if our relationships between the sexes existed like that? Think of the number of problems that exist in our culture by, and today, hear me, you're going to think I'm just talking about men or about women. I want you to kind of do the translation. I don't have time to kind of do this every time. But when I'm speaking about this, so I'm talking to you women, do you realize how many um, failed relationships or broken relationships are perpetuated because of a lack of speaking and praying for those kinds of expectations? Instead, we settle. We settle for less from our fathers. We settle for less from our brothers. We settle for less from our husbands. We settle for less from our sons. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't gracious and kind and, and forgiving. No, 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 we are. We are, we are that to, to the extent that God gives us his favor and his spirit. We are that. But you don't get anywhere by expecting less especially young women who are in relationships who are now just settling for less. I love to ask young women who are about to get married. So let me see if I get this straight. You thought of everybody in the world that you wanted to be your like, spiritual companion and spiritual leader and the one who would become the most spiritual influence on all of your children, and you chose this guy. <laughs> this is the guy you chose. And they, they do this to me. What? What? No, I just, I like him. He's cute. And I think he might get a good job. I'm, that's all I'm really thinking, right? I kind of, we have fun together. Like we party, we drink, we kind of have sex together. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm serious. Okay, so, so you're not thinking about the spiritual dimension. Ah, Like we'll get around to that. Now, the day you wake up and you realize, wow. Like this whole relationship is somehow broken at the core because I've not thought about the spiritual dimension at all. I haven't even considered it. So, women, young or old, truthfully, expect more from the men in your life. And then please be the voice and the hands and the, the kindness of Jesus when we fail. Amen, men? We, do you hear that? See, they're wimpy. Amen, men? Amen. Eh, they're a little better. <laughs> so, this idea of being God-centered, the first thing that we actually see, I want you to look in our text, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Notice what Jesus does. Notice that when they get into this question, Jesus doesn't go, well, you know, let's take a look, let's take a poll. We've got 12 Pharisees, we've got 12 disciples. We'll just try to figure this out by voting. That's the best way to handle good discussion. No, Jesus, Jesus in verse 4 of chapter 19 says this. Have you not read? He goes back to a source. He goes back to authority that, here is Jesus speaking, he goes back to authority that says, listen, we can all agree to this. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Okay, that idea of created has at its very core, the reason why we talk about it, whenever we go through the whole story of God, the big narrative of God, we talk about creation because if you don't understand that God created you, then you don't understand that God owns you. And you're already offended by that. I mean, culturally speaking, we're already offended. What do you mean? I don't. Nobody owns me. No, no, no. Like you were made by God, so he owns you. And your inability to come to terms with that will then set you at odds with the creator. Notice how if the world says, I'm, I'm, I'm self-authenticating, I'm self-authorizing, then what they are doing is the world is headed into the creator of the universe that says, well, that's just not true. Like, you can't be self-authorizing because I am the author, I am the designer of all of this. So you can't just do what you want. You're going to come in at the wrong engagement of me, and you're just going to run into me. Don't you understand that? And so Jesus doesn't get into a debate, doesn't get into, well, my mom, my dad, and my and your friends, and my friends, and, but I got this one friend on Facebook, and they said, I mean, that's not what Jesus does. What does Jesus say? Have you not read that God created them in the beginning, male and female? So Jesus' understanding of manhood, of womanhood, of marriage, of divorce, of sexuality, and of singleness goes back to the very beginning, which is this is God. He is the creator. He is the owner. Number two since he is the creator and the owner, that instead of there being this no boundaries mentality to our pursuit, now I'm speaking to you men, and by the way, I don't want women to go, well, what about, doesn't that apply to women too? Listen, I'm speaking to men. And many of these things I'm about to share will actually naturally extend over to women. But what we actually see in the Bible is that there are very natural limits to what it means to be a man. Natural limits. Instead of no boundaries, there are natural limits. Look at Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God, this is Genesis one. So God created, that's that ownership piece, but now it's not just ownership, it's also design. Okay, so God owns, and you I just hate that term. It just sounds so oppressive. Hmm, see what I like about it is that I'm not, like, I'm not orphaned. Like there really is this beauty of being a part of something. And, and and the second idea within that created motif we see biblically speaking is that there is an intention or a design, men. Like God didn't create you just randomly. Like, you're not just a collection of molecules and all of this. I'm sure that's one way to try to understand you biologically, but even, I've, I've talked to people much smarter than me about this, you still come back to this question, like, why and how does that work and why does that do this? And I think the answer is God. He is the one who gives that final spark of life. He is the one who gives the, 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 that impetus of, of, of ownership and of design on us. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then this will kind of jump into next week's message. Notice how it continues on. Male and female, he created them. Which means instead of me doing whatever I want and then kind of getting mad when there are consequences, I thought I could do whatever. I, I thought I could just literally just kind of date however I wanted. And just that was as long as I didn't hurt anybody, then the people I hurt shouldn't be mad at me. Yeah, you know, I kind of use girls to feel better about myself. I kind of use girls to try to go through a, a stage in my life. And you, you kind of describe this. As long as nobody's really hurt. I remember talking to a young man one time who was talking about how the fact that he had, uh, was dating this young girl and he kind of moved over from that young girl to another young girl. And I said, so how did you walk through that whole process? He said, I just told her I didn't like her. I liked her friend instead. He said, no, the good news is these were 12-year-olds, so they're well-adjusted people. You know what I remember? I remember going, wait wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. So you went to this young lady, Lady A. I don't like you. I like your friend. Yeah. But she totally gets it. I'm sure she does. And I'm sure she's fine. Like, I'm sure she's not at home wondering what's wrong with her. Hey, hey. as long as nobody gets hurt, then we can just shop for People. Kind of pick what we like, just as long as nobody gets hurt. Any of you ever been hurt in a relationship? Yes, yeah, so I don't want to hear about that not getting hurt stuff. See, there are natural limits. God created them. Now, what's interesting is when you look at these natural limits, you might think, well, that's, that's, that's restrictive. You, you do know that God has limits, right? Did you know that? God has limits. People want to go, no, he doesn't. You know, no, he really does. Like God cannot lie, he can't. God cannot lie, God God cannot be tempted. There are things within God's nature and God's character that cannot exist, that cannot be. What causes that? His character, like who he is. Therefore, you and I, men, okay? We have natural limits. And even though we might think that we can step outside of them, those are con- consequences that come when we begin to act in ways that are contrary to the way that God designed us. So when I decide, when I was younger, to try to date and to try to uh, find and, and to feed my own self-worth and all of that by young ladies saying, oh, I like Jim and he is nice then that will also, if that's kind of how I find and how I am fed, that when the feeding stops there, I feel like I'm starving. Like I feel like I'm dying. You know why? Because I really wasn't designed by God to shop for people. No, I was just told by culture that that was how I was supposed to socialize. And it's when we have these natural limits... And that we recognize these natural, men, did you know that you have limits? Like, I know you've got lusts, but then there are also limits to those lusts. Did you know that? Like, there are destructive tendencies that you and I have when we have this insatiable lust for pride or for power or for sex. Do you realize that, like, the path of destruction that we will leave in our wake When we just feel like we can pursue whatever we want to pursue, we lie as long as nobody gets hurt. That's such a joke. And we continue on. And if we look behind us, we will see like a path of destruction. A path of destruction. This is not the way God intended it. He intended for you and I to have very natural limits to ourselves. Where where do they come from? I'm going to give you like an example. I couldn't, again, the Bible doesn't come to us and give us like five things, okay? But I want you to look at just, just write this down. First Timothy 5.17, it's just a tiny little phrase. Paul is speaking to Timothy, who is then teaching all of these men, and he just says this short little short little statement, command these things. He tells him, command these things. Now that's how the Bible comes to us. The Bible comes commanding things to us. The Bible comes and says, this is how you need to live and this is how you need to operate. So the Bible comes to men and it says, listen, you don't have sex with anyone that you want. Like these are the people in your own family that you don't have sex with. Like, and and you don't have sex until you're married and then you don't have sex with other people's wives. You just don't act like that, why? It's not just God saying, because it's fun and I don't want you to have it. Because he knows it is destructive. It is absolutely destructive to who we are societally and even individually. Now, you can just disagree with me, but the Bible teaches that it's destructive. That's why things like fornication and pornography and adultery are just wrong. They are outside of the natural limits. Sex is a wonderful and a beautiful thing that happens in the context of a loving relationship where a man and a woman devoted to one another literally are bare or naked or intimate with one another and it is this exclusive relationship. And in that, truthfully, it's complicated, but it's beautiful. It's difficult, but it's right. And then there are other places where it's just wrong. God says, like, you can't just take anything that you want. And then you can't just sit there and go, I really want that. How do I get it? How do I get it? Like, you can't be that kind of, like, jealousy and envious and coveting and stealing. Like, you can't do that. That's just wrong. What you need to be as a man is grateful for what God has given you. And you need to trust him with what you have. And not always plotting and trying to figure out how to get other people's stuff and sacrificing in your wake a whole bunch of things to somehow get it, because it won't even satisfy you to begin with. By the way, I'm still in Leviticus. The Bible goes on and on and on about how these things relate to us and how we need to relate to them as men. And the Bible says, this is what the natural limits look like. This is how I designed you, and this is how I designed all of you to interact with each other that if you spend your time trying to seduce another man's spouse, it's not just going to be the most peaceful circumstances in your community. I know that sounds crazy, or does it sound true? And God says, I command these things, I command these things. And those things that we consistently commanded about what it means to be a man, in terms of the restricting of our lusts, that go exist in the areas of like pride and greed and money and power and sex. Like these things are commands that God has given to us, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. Because he says these things are only going to lead to the exploitation of those around you. And you're going to try to convince yourself that no one was hurt, but you know you hurt way too many people. And you hurt yourself. Lastly, you might say, well, okay, so there's all these limits, so we just have to memorize all of these limits? And then if I memorize all of these limits and all these things I can't do, then in the end I'm a man? No! The beauty of God is that although he may not say to you ever, you're free to explore, just go anywhere that you want. No, no, no. He says, but you are free to discover. This is the beauty, is I'm not a generic man, I'm Jim the man, okay? And I'm 48, and I'm a man. Okay, some of you don't get that joke, but I uh, had to get it in there. Um, but look, when you look at it, I am, I am Jim a man. I'm not, so there is, a, there, is, there is not just this uniform, this is how it looks. Because this is where we get into trouble, is if you and I only think in terms of the stereotypical pieces of what it means to be a man, then do men wear pink or not wear pink? Well, they used to not wear pink, but now we wear pink. Awesome, okay, so now we wear pink. Do men hunt or not hunt? Well, real men hunt, and they grow really weird beards. That's what real men do. And they dress like this and they act like this. And then some men go, well, I'm not actually like that. So can I be anything that I want? No, no, no. You still can't be anything that you want. There's still natural guidelines. But really, there is a room for you to discover the God-given gifts and passions and abilities that you have. This isn't a cookie-cut mentality about what it means to be a man. And it's not a free-for-all that you can be anything that you want. It is under God's direct guidance, Holy Spirit, Bible, biblical community. Men, it is us truly, not exploring, but discovering. I like that word better. Explore is it's out there. Discover is, no, it is God given to me in here. And I like pink, and I'm going to wear it if I want to. And I'm not a hunter. I am not a hunter. I didn't shoot a gun until I was 44 years old. Now, maybe partly because I was Canadian, but I didn't shoot a gun totally cool with that i love sports i don't mind crying i mean again it's it's i'm not going to be held by these stereotypical inside or outside of the church pictures of what it means to be a man i'm going to let the word of god do it for me free to discover free to discover look at what titus 2, 2 says instead of just looking at these side issues can you imagine if we looked at the core issues? Titus 2.2, Paul says this, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. He goes on and says in verse 6, Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled, which is kind of strange because most young men are perfectly self-controlled. Urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. And sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not, may not put you to shame. And will have nothing to say evil about us. See, notice the list of things that we can be sober-minded, self-controlled working within the confines of what God has given me, which I'll admit, is not always the most fun when it comes to the world. You'll feel out of place when it comes to the world. You'll feel like you're missing out on something, and you are. You are. You are missing out on all of the pain and all of the brokenness that exists. You're missing out on it, I promise you. Our neighbor growing up, this little boy, uh, our our next-door neighbor, his name was Andrew, and where we lived in Illinois, um, they loved to do crazy things. So it was kind of this farming community, which kind of has a no-rules mentality anyway. And so they found this huge satellite dish, and they put like a 14-year-old driving a truck, because in Illinois, I think it can be three and drive a truck in the fields. And so they got this teenage boy driving, they pile all of these children in the back of a satellite dish, rope, and then they just drive around town. And thinking, yeah, how many are going to be dead soon, right? So Andrew goes to our, Andrew's our neighbor, he goes to his mom and says, Mom, I, I just, I really want to go ride around town with Cody. And, uh, you know, he's 14, so he can drive, and I want to get in the back of this satellite dish. And she, she says, you're not doing that. She says, but Mom, I don't get to have as much fun. And she said, I know, get used to it. Get used to it, son. And honestly, I need to say to you, I'm not going to lie, I look at the world and I go, man, it looks like they're having a lot of fun, don't you? Man, look at the way that they're partying. Look at the way that they're, man, it just looks like fun. I just don't see the hangover, literally. I don't see that side of it. I don't see the brokenness. Like, I don't know what it's like to live on that side of it. I'm grateful that God has given me these natural parameters and this this incredible freedom to discover who he wants me to be. So instead of asking who am I, the question that you and I get to ask is this who has God made me to be? Do you realize how much better that question is? Who has God made me to be? So what does it mean to be a man? I'll tell you, it means something. It's gotta mean something. And here's what I think it means, and it's a big picture item, because again, the Bible comes to us, and man, you're gonna have to sit down and work through the scriptures and see what God instructs you about what it means to be a man. It's gonna take more work than I can give in a sermon in 42 minutes. But these are the two overarching pictures I want you to hold on to. Number one, you are a representative, an image bearer of God. Like if you wanna know what it means to be a man, look at God and be like him. This is why my dad failed me and he could do nothing but fail me, because he's not God. And it took me a while to figure that out, but even the best of us dads cannot replace God in the equation. And men, as image bearers of him, look to him and model him in purity and in holiness, in manliness. Truly, a God that loves so much that he's willing to send his son to die. A God that is willing to persist in broken relationships, he's not going to give up because he's God. And he cares too much to just walk away. Cowards walk away, real men, because they're like God, stay in complicated relationships. You get that? If you just stopped and went image-bearer, representative of God, representative of God, and truly, whether you know it or not, all of us have a Jesus fish somewhere on us. Representatives, number two, responsible. Then you're responsible. Responsible for, you're responsible for. If you have a ring on your finger, then you've got a responsibility. You decided to get married, your wife, there is a responsibility piece that you have. To provide for and to care for, to protect, to love, to serve. If you've got a ring on your finger, then you've got a responsibility. If God has blessed you with children, you've got a responsibility. Not just teach them how to hit a ball. Not just teach them how to, how to read, but literally to get involved in their lives and teach them who God is and what being a real man looks like and to not just set yourself up as the example but to keep pointing to him and then times pointing to yourself and then being honest where you're failing and point to him again. It goes beyond that by the way. You also care for your extended family and you begin to own and and not just run away from problems that mom and dad and brothers and sisters but you are an active agent of reconciliation in those relationships and it moves further. You get involved in your church. You become more than just a taker. You're now a giver. It's one of the joys of being in a college town. Even though you might even be here a few years, hopefully we're going to teach you what it means to give and to connect and to risk emotionally and relationally. But in the end, it's not what can I take, what can I get, what can I take, what can I get, but what can I give? So you become part of a church. You go through the difficult aspects of surrendering yourself, go gather and grow in the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. That's what real men do. And it goes even further. They get involved in their communities. They look at their community and say, listen, I'm not just gonna be a taker. I'm not just gonna have my kid go and play baseball. How can I serve? I'm not just gonna be involved in my community by paying my taxes and then take, take, take. I'm I'm going to actually get involved in the lives of those people around me who are involved in my community. And it goes even further. It extends to this country. It extends to this world. It's the reason why we go to other places. Why? Because we're men. And God has given us the job of being responsible for so many things. And as we look at this and empowered by His Spirit, we are going to make a difference in these areas by His strength and for His purpose. This isn't man, (laughs) ha ha ha. This is, I'm an image bearer of God. And I've been given these responsibilities and I'm going to take them seriously because not only am I responsible for, I'm also responsible to. Like men, there'll be a day you'll meet God and he'll ask you about the responsibilities that you took on, wife, children, church, family, community, nation, world. What do you want to say at that moment? Man, I was incredibly childish and selfish most of my life, God. God. Yeah, grow up. We need to grow up and recognize that not only are we responsible for, we are responsible to, to him. And that's why we do it by his strength. And we do it for his glory, not our own. No, as soon as we do it for our own glory, we'll exploit, manipulate, we'll destroy. But the more that we give it to him, the more we see the way God intended us to be. Because what we are, literally, is we are incredible pictures, what God always intended, of us as men like his perfect son. That's what it's about. That's what it means to be a man. Let's pray. And so God, I thank you for the opportunity to to come together and to submit to you and to your plan and to your purposes in the world. God, God, I thank you for these men for there are many in this room who are doing well. That God truth, I've got tons of examples of men who are faithful at home and at work and in the community that God, there are men that I look up to who are part of this fellowship who are making a difference and what a privilege it is to serve beside them. What an inspiration they are to me. And yet God, I know that should they fail that you will persist. And so I thank you So God, I pray that each one of us that are those that are men, that Father, we would take seriously what it means to be your representative and your ambassador, what it means to take seriously the responsibility that you've given us. And that God, we wouldn't make too much of it in that instance, but we would humbly just trust you to provide the means to be the kind of men that you've called us to be. God, thank you for creating us in your image. Thank you for the responsibility that you've given us. I pray that you would find us faithful by your strength and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.